this morning we're going to have more conversation. We got some great questions. Great questions. But I just want to set the table here before we go any further into the future of this thing called life. Is that, listen, we're in this thing together. And that was some good honey you gave me the other day. Thank you. I tasted and seen that that was some good honey. So here we go. First question is going to pop up on the screen, and it is a good question. Pastor Bradley jumped at it. He wants to answer it. He probably has the answer. And so um, first question is this. Why are Christians so divided? Has anybody ever thought that, like that question? Just shaking up your head like, yeah, that's the majority of you. Uh, me too. I've, it's something I struggle with. Uh, become a Christian at 17 and uh, not understanding this thing. Well, I still understand it, uh, but uh, definitely fully then. And, and so when you meet Jesus, you're like, all right, so like what do I do now? Like, do I just pick a church? There's like so many of them, like First Baptist of the Second Street, Pentecostal, Apostle, uh, you know, Good Doctor, Scott Newton. You know, there's like, you can pick them. I mean, just go down the street. You're in the South. I mean, every corner there's a church. How do you pick that? And so it just kind of, I scratched my head about that. And I always have like, why are we so divided? Uh, we're so divided, you know, where we attend church, how we operate. Like whenever you say you're a Christian, somebody scratches their head and they're, so they immediately go into judgment of you. Well, that ain't what I do. Then, I mean, are they really a Christian? Anybody there? Uh, or has that ever happened to you? And so I don't, I don't really have a, a good answer like for me, but I just went to scripture and the scripture I, I pulled up was um, Acts uh, 2 and this is the early church. And so let's go to where it was a good model. Can we do that? Well, maybe the best model in history of church. And I'm just going to skip through. This is Peter addressing uh, the crowd and in verse 42 it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and, and many more, uh, wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods and gave to anyone as he had need. I just want to stop there for just a moment. I think maybe that sums up the question. Why are we so divided? What did it look like at the beginning of this thing? The most minute, earliest days of the church. My question, I'm going I'm to answer a question with a question. Does that look like us today? Does it look like you? Well, at some point in time, man, Andy Peel. Andy, you guys love Andy that leads us. And sometimes you see him in the background. Sometimes you only see him in, in at all. But he leads our, our worship and creative arts, man. This dude is super, like, he's on it. Like, he's on a platform like I've never seen Andy on. And, and that unit, whenever we got to talk, sorry, this dude, great dude, trying to get my terms here. Andy is a great dude. And he made this statement when we talked about this question. He said, I think it's because people have gotten so selfish in their desire. The church has stopped wanting to see God move in power and move in their power. Like I said, I do my, I do my due diligence once a year. 
I go with my parents to the Thomasville Parade. I went yesterday, yes. Whew. Anybody else there in the house? I know some of you are because I saw you on floats. And uh, <laughs> how about that? How'd they get on that float? Anyway, what I saw, though, was this. There's about 87,000 floats with churches on it. And everybody's handing out tracts and, you know, their rendition of the gospel or whatever. And I just thought to myself, even just thinking about this question, like every one of them mean to do really good, right? The church that means to do good. Where did we get off? Like in, in my opinion, so I haven't said my opinion yet. My opinion is that we have, Andy, we have entered into our selfish desire and we want church to look like we want church to look like. And when we step back from what we want church to look like and we start breaking bread with folks that need the bread broken with them, you know what happens when you break bread? Like there's something that happens. When Jesus was with the two guys heading to Damascus and they didn't know it was Jesus until he broke bread with them. His, his appearance was revealed to them. There's something about breaking bread. I love Pastor Brent. I, I don't know if you said it in Wilmington. We were together here. One of the greatest things I've ever heard him say, man, the second most intimate thing you could do with someone is what? To break bread with them. Now, we ain't going to have the first most intimate thing you can do with each other. But by golly, we could do the second, couldn't we? When was the last time you had an encounter over bread with someone that did not believe? I can talk the whole, I don't want to take our time. But anyway, Acts 2, 42, why are we not divided? Because we forgot to do the things that we were established to do. I got this. I'm just going to try to draw this and illustrate it. What, we're, what, what I'd love to see accomplished in a perfect world, as God's presence is dominating our life, just as he just said, is this, does that describe your life? I'm trying for that to describe my life. But as a Christ follower, as someone who is running headlong after Jesus Christ, I may miss it here and there. My flesh will get in the way and tell me that I'm not actually as Christ sees me. But in my spirit, as I am trying to run after Jesus Christ, because that's what we're trying to do here. As I'm trying to run after Jesus Christ, this is what I want for this entire community, is this. You see, how many of us in this room seriously have God figured out? Raise your hand. Like you've got, you know everything about him. You understand him fully. You and God, are, you understand him. Anybody in this room? Okay, that's what I thought. There's not a single one of us in this room that understand God in his fullness, but we live like we understand God in his fullness. And I will illustrate it by drawing this. This is how we in the church have figured God out. But none of us in this room said we understand him fully. But what we've done in our understanding of God is we in our minds have put a box around him and everything that we are to know about him, we just box it and we close the box. And that's why we have so many churches down here. 
That's why we have so many different denominations is because this group of people says that you should submerge or immerse. I learned that this weekend. Immerse, like push under the water in baptism, fully under the water in baptism. But then there's a whole group of people say that, no, it's okay if you just sprinkle them. And instead of focusing on Jesus and the act of baptism, they focus on the performance of it and they split. And that's just one small, tiny example. We have others and I don't even want to go into that, but what we're doing as human beings in trying to understand God is we're putting a lid on him, boxing him in safely because I can understand this. I have created God for him to be understood by me. And so we've got it all figured out. In the perfect world, as I'm passionately running after Jesus with everything that I've got, when I pray, when I fast, when we get in groups and we talk about what God is doing, all I'm asking for those of you in this room, this is all I'm trying to do in my life, not to complete the box. Now listen, there are some things in here that are solid. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to eternal life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. The Word of God is inerrant. It is inspired by God, written by man. Those are some of the things that are solid. But there are some things about God, because you've drawn this box closed, you have no idea, and actually... We are missing out. It's because we're scared that something may come in here and we think it's going to infect us. Well, how about this? I trust that the Holy Spirit and my spirit, that I'm going to be able to discern if someone's trying to throw in witchcraft when I open my box a little. So what I'm wanting for this community is this. Yes, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Scripture, heaven, hell, all of those solids. But what I'm wanting us to do as followers of Jesus is just to allow a very small, just a pinhole size opening in our understanding of who God is. And trust that the Holy Spirit, who's only good, is going to feel this with his goodness. And so what I'm asking you to do is in the trust of God and in the goodness of the Holy Spirit, just maybe open your mind up to what God would have for us. Instead of closing ourselves off, and then when someone comes to us with something that is not comfortable to us or has been taught to us, instead of taking our toys and running and starting our own playground, we sit with our friends who may have just a little different opinion on how you are to take communion or how often you are to take communion. You say, I can get pretty passionate about this. How about this? It is about Jesus Christ, him crucified, him dead, buried, and raised to life. And even though I don't agree with the music that you play, we're going at Jesus headlong and we're going to see what happens when we come together instead of dividing ourselves. Amen. Come on. Man. Can I say that we've made this way harder than we're supposed to make it. And while we're fighting, the enemy is rejoicing and I'm tired of the enemy rejoicing. 
the enemy because of so many. Just in, if we were the only Christians in North Carolina, I believe the enemy should be shaken in his boots because we're together, we're unified, we're under the power of the Holy Spirit. And just these Christians in this room could go change this community. Amen? That's all I got to say about that. Brent, you got anything for that one? Uh, just 30, 30 seconds and then I'm done. Um, if you're taking notes, John 17, all right, Jesus prays that we would all be one. Okay, so this, this is a scriptural thing. Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about that Jesus brings peace. He brings wholeness to a divided body. So this is the, that's kind of the, and there's tons of other scriptures, but that's the foundation of it. Um, and, and basically, to sum that up, um, we have gotten focused on preferences as opposed to the, the foundational issues of scripture. Um, all of those things that, that Scott just talked about, communion, baptism, your thoughts on so on and so forth, we have to have we have to ask the Holy Spirit for discernment to know the difference between something that is a preference and something that is actually a biblical foundational teaching. And major on the majors, and then let's let the minors just be what they are. Um, Scott used this illustration uh, earlier this week. If, if I say blue and you say red, um, can we not still get together? Like, just because I have a preference on music and you have a different preference on music, that doesn't mean that we can't still exist in the same body. And, and that's what we're trying to champion as a, as a movement of the body of Christ is let's just stop focusing on preferences and let's just let them be what they are. Um, but let's all just come under the majors, which is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the inerrant word of scripture and all of those things. And we'll champion those together. And, uh, and then the preferences will just fall where they are. Yeah. But here, cause here's what's going on outside of these walls for the people who really don't care about coming to be a part of anything like this. Listen, this is a question we're not going to tackle. We're going to be tackling some of these questions on Facebook Live throughout the week coming up. So just be checking out Hope City website, Facebook. But here's what the word on the street is. Why is it then when looking for Christ, the Christians are the ones who seem to always, and always is in all capital letters, why is it that the Christians are the ones who seem to always be the ones who run us away? In the name of Jesus, we're not going to run anybody else away. In the name of Jesus, we're going to come together, Christians. And even though we do not like red sometimes and sometimes we like blue more, we have got to unify if we're going to make a difference in this community for the name of Jesus. We're not going to run anyone away. So that goes into my second question. Brent, why don't you take off with this one? And I'm going to ask this question. The question came in, why do people abuse the gift of grace? It's a great question, but I'm going to ask this question on top of that. Brent, to every single one of you in here, how much grace do you want? Think about that. How much grace do you want? So Brent, why do we abuse grace? Um, all right, so... Just, just a, a quick, um, simple thought. Um, if you haven't abused grace, 
then please raise your hand or stand up because I would like to follow you. I'm serious. This is, this is, the, this is the example of uh, the woman caught in adultery uh, that we find in the Gospels. The, that question just makes me think of, of that statement when Jesus said, he who is without sin, let us cast the first stone, right? Um, we've all missed the mark. And at different times in our life, we've all needed deep, deep grace for our, our missteps. But here's the, here's the other side of the spectrum, okay? It is, um, it's an abuse of grace to continue to sin and to continue to miss the mark and to continue to just go on and say, I know this is a sin, but I'm just going to keep doing this anyway because God's going to forgive me. Um, but it's also an abuse of grace to say, um, golly, how can I word this in, in, a, in an honoring way? Um, it's also an abuse of grace to think that somehow my religious activity adds to my relationship with the Father. Like that he thinks differently of me by how many times I pray or read my Bible or so on and so forth. That's an equal abuse of his grace. In Hebrews, it talks about that God forgave our sins once and for all, totally clean. So, so on one end of the spectrum, it's keep on sinning, keep on sinning, keep on sinning. But on the other end of the spectrum, it's I've got to act right and do right. And, and if I miss the mark, then I have to beat myself up. That's an abuse of grace also. So... Um, I love the scripture where it says, uh, do I continue to sin so grace can abound? And I think that Hoover's, Hoover wrote that question. I think it's a great question um, because the depth of it is we as church people, I don't know if it's that we get into this thing so long, like we start figuring it out, but like we put a limitation on grace, like like grace only grace will run out. You ever heard that before? I've heard that before. Like, well, I don't know, man. I don't know if God's grace will cover that one. Like that's that's a bad one. And I don't know wh- where we've come to grips with that. I, I guess in our in our um, in our personal walk that we have become so good, and then we forget that we are called to be the light. And so we start pointing our finger in judgment. I think it's a great question because we all abuse grace. I love that when Jesus knelt down and wrote in the sand. And he looked at the crowd, he said, He without sin cast the first stone. And I love that when I read that, I literally hear, hear the sounds of rocks hitting the ground. But he looks at her and says, go, leave your life in sin, of sin, and sin no more. We, we along the journey, we, I think we forget that we need grace. And so we start pointing out, mm, I don't think grace can cover that. 
So whoever answered that, whoever asked that question, there's not a good answer to it, but I bet we all continue to abuse it. Is that a wrong enough answer? I hate to answer it that way, but the bottom line is, you need grace. Amen? Did anybody need grace this morning? When you woke up and looked at yourself in the mirror, and what did you tell yourself about yourself? Well, what did you look, wake up and say to your spouse or your children or to that person that cut you off on the way to church? I needed grace this morning. But it could look like I abused it. He didn't die on the cross for us to abuse it. He died on the cross to give it. So can I just say today, receive it. Receive his grace. I'm a visual learner, so I, I, and I, I have to get up and move around and write and draw. Um, like, so I... I just want to draw it this way. This is the way I understand it. Like some of you are like, well, this dude's in kindergarten. He's drawing squares and now a circle. <laughs> I'm going to do a triangle in the second service. All right. But because we want to understand God and because we want, because we're human being. And again, he made us this way, so don't fight it. But it's good that we want to understand God fully. But can I just tell you, listen, you're not going to, because as soon as you understand God fully, that that's not God, okay? So, but we want to understand God fully. We want to understand his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness fully. So what we've done as Christians, we've, again, made some boundaries. This is grace. But can I just tell you, this is not grace. Grace has no boundary, Because if you come to the end of grace, then you have not been journeying down grace. You have not been seeking grace. You have been seeking something else because grace has no boundary. And I know that scares some of you in your theology. That's okay. What we accomplished last week in scaring and pushing some buttons is many of you came back and said, I have studied scriptures more this week than I ever have. Listen, I didn't know we had to tell you guys that. Go study scriptures. If you're wanting to hang on every word that I say, listen, I am mere man. I am mortal. I am not going to probably be the one um, that is going to give you all the right answers. I'm just not, but I am trying. So go study your scriptures. And you'll see in there that grace has no boundaries. You'll see that the Father, his love for you is endless. I love the story of the prodigal son. I've been studying it for probably a couple months now. And you go in there and look at it. It's in Luke chapter 15. And you go look at the story because that young man, the son, the prodigal son, the lost son, however you want to call him, he tried his best to abuse grace. And most of us in this room, including myself, would think, well, he did a pretty good job of it. Mug ran around with prostitutes. He basically stole from his own dad. He abused his last name, which was a big deal back in those days. Like, he tried his hardest to abuse grace, and he still couldn't do it. You see, if you're reading that story, he finally came to his senses, and he went back to his father, and he was going to say, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. He was going to basically ask for forgiveness, and I want you to catch this. In his mind, he was going to come back to his father and say, God... Forgave me, Father, will you forgive me? But before he can even utter those words, the Father encountered him on the driveway. 
And the father threw his arms around him and he called him son. Before he could ever get out the first word. And so some of you in here are probably trying to abuse grace. Good luck. You know what's going to happen? Before you get to the end of grace, you're going to run into the Father's arms again, and you're going to experience grace upon grace. So here's what I want you to know. Instead of, because this is human nature, and again, if we could draw a boundary around grace, which we can't, but let's just for the illustration say we could. If we could draw a boundary around grace, why in the world, Christ followers, are we trying to get over here to the edge of it? Why are we doing that? What I've learned as God's goodness has been revealed to me over just really the last couple of years What I have learned, instead of wanting to be over here as close to the edge of grace or love or forgiveness or mercy or whatever you want to call it, instead of wanting to be over here at the far edge, why in the world do I not want to get smack dab right in the middle of where God is and just enjoy his presence? And so that's what I want to do. I want to fan your flame today, Christ followers. And for those who aren't Christ followers in the room, I want to fan your flame that grace has brought you to this point. But for the Christ followers in the room, I want to push you not to the edge, but I want to push you to the center of where God's goodness is. Because for us to go out here and change this community, we cannot be flirting with boundaries. We've got to be smack dab right in the middle of where God's beauty, his presence rests. Christ follower, find out where that is. If you don't know where to start, listen, we'll help you. We'll just share what we've tasted and seen. All right? So get in the very center. And that leads us to the last question of the day. I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. Because it ties in the last two that we just talked about. Is it wrong to hate ungodly lifestyles? Example, gay, lesbian, transgender lifestyles. Is it wrong to hate ungodly lifestyles? (sighs) And the answer is yes. It is not your responsibility to hate anyone. And you will find that out when you get smack dab into the center of his presence. But I will tell you, if you're trying to live out here on the edge, you're going to hate a lot of things. Listen. You see, it goes back to the abuse of grace. And it goes back to why are so many Christians divided? It's because we're so concerned with the speck of sawdust in your eye. Well, all along, we've got this large plank in our very own. Let me repeat that. We're so concerned as Christians about the specks of sawdust in other people's eyes while all along we have this huge plank in our own. And so it makes us feel good if we lump the hot topics together of being gay 
lesbians, transgender. If it's right to hate those lifestyles, then listen, for the person who's lied, we have to hate that lifestyle too. If a person overate last night, glutton, you go look at the scriptures of what it says about a glutton. It's pretty clear that God says that you, glutton, overeater, should take a knife to your throat. Then if it's going to be right to hate those lifestyles, you have to look inside to see if you've been gossiping any. You have to go look and see if you may have fudged a little bit on your taxes this past year. If we're going to hate a lifestyle, we've got to hate them all. And so my answer is, it is wrong to hate a lifestyle. See, I'm trying in my maturing to get past the lifestyle and just see the person. Listen, do I agree with them? No. I don't agree with the fact that I'm a glutton either. But what I'm asking the Father is I'm asking him, God, please don't help me see the speck of dust in that person's eye. Let me see them as you see them, God. Help me to see them as gold. Even if they are a transgender, let me see them as gold. Because hate is doing nothing but dividing us. And if you, listen, let me run back over here, can be safe and secure right here. Smack dab in the middle of God's presence. I'm not going to be afraid that somebody with a different lifestyle is going to get some on me and affect me. You see, that's why I'm confident in Christ to open my box just a little bit because I have not even encountered the fullness of God yet, but I'm trying. And so, yeah, it's wrong to hate the lifestyles that were listed on that page. Why not for just once? We try to love and to see people as God the Father sees them. Take it over. That's all I got. Um, very, real, real quick, I want to. I just want to pull back that the the uh, the story of the prodigal son. Um, understand in that walk of grace, the moment where the grace story began was when it says that the prodigal son came to his senses and he turned, coming back to the father. That's that's the essence of repentance. Repentance wasn't, in the story, if you go back and read it, it wasn't the prodigal's rehearsed statement of, Dad, I've, I've messed up, I've screwed up, please let me be a servant in your household. If you read that story, literally God interrupts him while the father interrupts the son while he's trying to, to tell him how much he's messed up. And he interrupts him, he hugs him deeply. But that journey began when he turned and came home, started his way back home. That's the essence of repentance. Repentance means just simply to turn, that your way of thinking has turned back to God. So in this same concept of, of hating godly lifestyles, I want to counter it with this statement. In, in um, Philippians 4, 
8 and 9, it says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent or worthy of praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Practice these things. What if um, that was our focus? Every single day, hey, Holy Spirit, I want to know what's pure, and I want to know what's lovely, and I want to know what's honorable in your sight, and I want to focus my attention on that. So when I look at someone, I am looking for what's honorable and what's true and what's lovely in them, not what's condemnable and what's broken. What if we could turn and we, and that's what the, the, the idea of Romans 12, um, talking about having a renewed mind, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, not conformed to the world. Conformity to the world focuses on the sin. That's what conformity does. It goes, oh, you're a sinner. Um, I'm just gonna focus on whatever the brokenness is that that person has in their life. Being transformed looks at what the Father sees. And it's what's pure and what's lovely and what's holy and all of those things. If we practice those things and we try to call that out in someone, here's the, here's the beauty of it. When we call someone into love, the Holy Spirit does his job. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts the world, that shows them um, their brokenness and brings them back into the loving embrace of the Father. If, our, if we could focus on the love aspect of what's pure and honorable and we, could, and we could help people see the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, then we don't have to do anything else. Introduce people to the Holy Spirit and that's it. He'll do his job. <clears throat> two things that um, I wrote down prepping this week um, are two things that have been said in almost every message uh, that I, I've heard from these guys and in meetings, and this is it. This is how it's helped me, um, because our default is what judgment. Do you disagree to that? Like we are people of comparison. We like to size people up. We like to see like about her or what about him. We are that's our nature. But whenever the Holy Spirit, what Brenda said, comes in and fills us, there's a newness that happens, a Colossians 3 lifestyle. Check that out, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 30. But these are two statements that have been made around here, and that has helped me tremendously is this. So for whoever asked the question, I think it's another great question. It's a hot-button question in the church. Listen, this will too pass. Do you understand that? And there's going to be another question about a hot-button topic. What was it 20 years ago? What was it 10 years ago? Tobacco in the church, interracial couples, mixing uh, ethnicities. Listen, God works it all out, guys. And this is, this is how it's helped me. These guys are phenomenal. And, uh, and Andy, too, and his leadership uh, it says this. We have to see people as you've heard it said, as God sees them. What does that look like? It's almost impossible, but if you train your mind, see them as a finished product. Do you understand that's how God sees you? <laughs> Do you understand that, church? Like, he sees you, he sees you as a finished product. And Brent, I think Brent was the one that coined it. We gotta view people as a trophy in hand. Like, they've won the prize, because we're all winners, Right? 
Not like everybody played a sport and everybody gets a trophy. Not that kind of winning. That's the millennial winning, you know. Everybody gets a trophy. I'm saying because he's already won the battle, church. And sometimes we forget he's won the battle. And I thought I'd got a little better response out of you than that because that is praiseworthy. Like Jesus has won the battle. And what we have to do is see people as their winners, as trophy in hand. They're going to make it. And when we love them and stop judging them as a church, this community will be radically changed for the name of Jesus. And if that's what you want, then this is the place for you. I'm not going to make the next statement. If that's what you want, then this is the place for you. Can I, can I add one more? Th- one, just one more. Sorry. One, one quick thing. Um, just, just using homosexuality as an example. Um, that is, when, when you look at, at if, if someone is, um, you know, struggling with that lifestyle or whatever, when you think about that part of their identity in comparison to who they are as an individual, their sexuality is a very small percentage of, of actually what makes them who they are. Just like whatever your sin might be is a tiny percentage of who you are as a person. And when you became a follower of Jesus, your sin immediately was washed away. And so that thing that used to identify you, even if you're still struggling with it, that thing that used to identify you, like Colossians says and like 2 Corinthians 5 says, like we're new creations, we're done. Old is gone, new has come. Like we have to understand that when we look at somebody is that, is that the sins that used to identify us are actually so minuscule compared to the way that the Father sees us. So understand that. And wrapping up here, it's been another good morning, man. It's, I, <clears throat> I don't know if it does this for you, but time flies up here. I hope you've somewhat enjoyed this this morning. Um, I am willing to risk offending you. I'm willing to risk making you a little uncomfortable if that pushes you to go search the scriptures to understand your identity in Christ. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to be, I'm willing to risk my own reputation. I'm willing to be talked about. And listen, I'm even willing for like, listen, I don't want anybody to leave this church. My intentions are, I'd love for you to invite all of your friends to come to this church. I think this is a pretty, pretty special place. But I'm willing to risk not being the most popular if that pushes you to go find your identity in Christ. Because I will talk about these very difficult subjects. I will bring up transgender. I will bring up gay and lesbian. I will bring up gluttons. I will bring up liars. I will bring up the things that maybe not many people are wanting to bring up at risk of maybe who knows what. But I believe if I bring it up, I know that I'm bringing it up because I want all those people that I've already mentioned to know just how perfect they are in Jesus Christ. I want the most, the lost, the most, the furthest person from Jesus 
to know that they are worthy and accepted by him and perfect because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I'm just willing to risk it all so that maybe just one person knows how beautiful and worthy they are because of Jesus. And if I go down, I'm gonna go down swinging. I'm gonna go down because I told you the truth. And I'm gonna go down because I stink and love you. I'm gonna go down because we went down together. And so last Sunday, we prayed with our intercessors in the back room. I believe we're getting ready to jump out of an airplane. I believe this morning, we just landed on the ground safe. And so this is who we are. This is what God's asking us to do. Because I've tasted, I've seen just how good he is. And I want every single person in this room to know how good the father is.